Hi, this is Tom Salami of Device Talks. Welcome to the Intuitive Talks podcast. Surgical Robotics presents an enormous opportunity for companies. There are surgeon shortages, sporadic healthcare, and miraculous technological advancement in both robotics and communications. So to understand where this sector is headed, we invited senior executives from Intuitive to share their company's impressive story. Change is coming. Consider these upcoming episodes to be guideposts for the future to follow. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Intuitive Talks podcast. This is episode three. In our previous episodes, we've talked about the company's origins. We've talked about their work with surgeons. Now we're going to talk a little tech. My guests are Brian Miller. He is the chief digital officer. And Tony Jark. He is the director of data and analytics at Intuitive. Today, we'll talk about how Intuitive is managing the data being generated or collected by its surgical robotic systems and what this portends for the future. Data is a big part of the surgical robotic story. We talk about the arms and such, but uh, the, the data being collected will definitely help surgeons do a better job. So it was great to talk with Tony and Brian about this and, of course, about their paths into the surgical robotics industry. Interesting enough, both of them came into MedTech to work specifically on surgical robotics. We'll hear more about that in a little bit. But first, I'd like to bring in Paul Lafon, Vice President of Sales at SMC. SMC has been kind enough to sponsor this episode of Intuitive Talks. Paul, tell us about SMC. SMC is a medical device contract manufacturer providing end-to-end solutions for finished devices. It was founded in 1988. It is a private company, and uh, we target from a market standpoint three specific segments, the drug delivery sector, pharma, uh, the diagnostic market, and the medical device surgical markets. About uh, 60 to 70 percent of what we do uh, is finished device versus components and sub-assemblies. We have manufacturing plants in Santa Rosa, California, two in Wisconsin, one in Massachusetts, and for low-cost countries, we've got Coyol, Costa Rica, and Bangalore, India, and uh, our design center is uh, located in Ohio. All our plants are FDA certified and uh, ISO 13485, and we've got two of our facilities that have Part 4 compliance for combination devices and drug handling. Uh, we provide design services, end-to-end solutions from development, tooling, assembly, packaging, even managing sterilization, and full manufacturing services. That's great. We'll hear more from Paul a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about SMC, go to smcltd.com. That's SMC Limited. So smcltd.com. Brian Miller and Tony Jark, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, to begin this conversation. We've spent the first two episodes sort of looking in the past a bit, talking about where intuitives come from, how it's working with, with surgeons, how it has and, and how it may. Now I feel like we're doing some more f- or some, some forward-looking discussions as to where this plays into the surgical suite going forward and how technologies like VR and AR and the, the amount of data you're collecting is going to uh, is going to really change things up. Before we get into all that cool tech stuff, though, I'd love to understand your, your backgrounds and how you found your way uh, to intuitive and into surgical robotics. Brian, why don't you, uh, why don't you kick things off? 
Yeah, happy to do so. Um, so uh, I uh, so I start off uh, been in the field for uh, for 21 years, um, uh, and I actually came straight from uh, from graduate work uh, to a company called Computer Motion. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two companies at the beginning of the uh, uh, to to build the industry, and started there, and and then Intuitive acquired us uh, in in 2003 and 2004. Um, I, I've had the, the been fortunate to uh, to participate in in four generations of, of robotic platforms. Um, seen several different parts of it from our robotic systems to our vision systems uh, to our advanced imaging. And now uh, I'm responsible for our digital data and advanced imaging portfolios. Um, but I'd have to say one, one of the things that's been exciting over the years is it's just uh, fascinating to see um, how technology enabling surgery has, has evolved over the past 25 years. How is the pace matched against your expectations of 20 years ago? Are we where we are? Or far ahead of where you expected us to be. I'm sorry, where we are. Are you? Are we far ahead of where you expected us to be, or are we uh, perhaps a little bit behind? Yeah, I'd, I'd say we're in good space. Um, I, I, you know, one of the things that we find is we continue to learn, and you know, as we spend the time with our customers, understand their needs, and, and start to solve them, um, that things are complex, so they take time to make sure that you do them right and they have the impact. Um, but I think we've made significant progress. Excellent. And Tony, how would you find your way to Intuitive? Um, absolutely. So I, I actually came straight from graduate uh, graduate school as well. I studied wow. uh, human motor control, um, kind of the intersection of neuroscience and engineering. Um, and then um, out of grad school, joined the medical research team at Intuit about 10 years ago, working as a data scientist on very similar problems to, to what my team works on today, quantifying surgeon efficiencies, workflow, and, and looking at advanced algorithms to uh, make predictions. Do you, do you think you would have found your way into a medical device company or, or a technology company? What I find interesting in, in the people I've talked to on this podcast is for the most part, this is really their first job in quote unquote, a medical device company or they've come from, uh, they've come from uh, a, a surgeon. We have it from education. Obviously Gary was at SRI. I mean, it seems like this is really a unique calling. And once someone answers the call, uh, it's a, it's a, a, a career long commitment, at least so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when I was uh, back in grad school, they, they, you know, looking out at the the industry landscape, and Intuitive was really the, the only application or company uh, where there was a computer placed between uh, a person and their device, and so that that computer allowed us to be able to quantify and hopefully improve the performance of the task, and so um, that really pulled me to Intuitive, and and I think you know all of the related technologies on top of it, it kept me here. I agree with that. I, you know, for me, it was something where in, in grad school, I also did human machine interface with robotic platforms and uh, uh, in virtual environments. But I didn't really. It wasn't focused in uh, healthcare or, or surgery. Um, and just found really late in my graduate career, found the founder of, of uh, Computer Motion uh, at a conference, and and as soon as I learned about it, I was I was uh, hooked. And uh, and and 21 years later, I'm still here. That's very cool. So let's talk a bit about what what you do there. Uh, actually, that's 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 the question. Talk a bit about your responsibilities, uh, Brian. What do you what do you oversee? Uh, I mean, we when, when when we talk about robotic surgery, I guess we're all thinking about the six big systems and the and the multiple arms moving around. But there's there's so much more going on under the hood. Talk about what what your your what you have worked on at Intuitive and what your responsibilities are now. Yeah, so uh, I'm currently the uh, uh, the chief digital officer at uh, at Intuitive, um, and and when we talk about digital, we really focus in on uh, th- three areas where we add value to customers, and that's in the areas of outcomes. 
learning and, and efficiency. And so that's where we take our, our digital capabilities, the data that the platform generates, um, and we're really stitching together our systems, uh, our learning, and our services uh, that we provide to our customers. And so so that's my current view. It, it brings in uh, a range of technologies uh, as an example um, for outcomes. Uh, we have a, a product uh, that we call Iris, where it takes preoptive scans, it does a, uh, it segments and does a 3D reconstruction um, and provides that information to the surgeon so that they can do uh, uh, better planning for uh, uh, pre-procedure um, as they're looking on what approach they're going to take. Um, and then they uh, bring it into the operating room uh, to help them navigate. And, uh, and so, uh, so throughout that and what we call digital, uh, there's a range of tools for, for surgeons to gain extra information, there's a range of training technologies. And as uh, Tony said, there's uh, uh, some areas that he works in that I'll let him speak to, uh, but start to use data to really understand how we can help uh, individuals in, uh, improve and, uh, and perform better. So that's my current role. I have had, uh, as I mentioned earlier, an opportunity to, uh, uh, to run a robotic platform uh, development. And so being a roboticist by, by, by background, uh, was able to run those teams, which is very cross-functional, electrical, mechanical, mm-hmm. Uh, software engineers, um, really focusing in once again on um, spending time with the customer inside of the operating room and just looking at every step of the way. What are they trying to accomplish? How can technology enable them? And then ultimately giving them a great experience uh, once we develop and, and release the product. That's excellent. Tony, if you could kind of build on, on that and, 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 and helping us understand exactly the areas that you're focused on. I know you, you touched upon it earlier, but I really would like to know where, where you're involved in the, in the robot creation. All right, let us take a quick break from this conversation and bring back our sponsor, SMC. I'm talking with Paula Fond, Vice President of Sales. Paul, tell me, how does SMC work with medical device companies? We're essentially we're an extension of their manufacturing discipline within the, within the company. Uh, once we move a product into production, in most cases, there's either design work that needs to be done, or if the design is frozen, we will spend six months or more in the developing of that device for high-speed or large-volume manufacturing. In that period of time, we try to work to drive out costs through either materials. Uh, purchase components, and whenever possible, we'll, we'll automate. And uh, whether it's automating the entire line or just automating sections of it, but that's our goal through the production cycle. Once successful with your first program with the customer, they, they automatically bring you into the next device, either through an acquisition or another development program. Great. And finally, Paul, I understand you are seeing a lot of growth at SMC. Tell us what's going on at the company. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, we've had a lot of uh, expansion going on within the company. Um, one of our key expansions uh, is 40,000 square feet to our facility in Costa Rica. Uh, there's been a shift coming back from China and the uh, med device side. And uh, we've already started to fill most of that expansion. And uh, we're looking at even more uh, uh, facility and land uh, in, in Costa Rica. Our facility in Cambridge, UK is uh, will be completed uh, by June, July of this year. That's a fill-finished engineering test facility for our pharma customers. And uh, we've got for the last, well, for the remaining three plants in the U.S., California, Massachusetts, Wisconsin, uh, we've got expansions going on in all three of those locations, mainly driven by our diagnostic customers. 
Fantastic. Thanks for sharing your story, Paul, and thanks for sponsoring SMC. For more information, you can go to their website, smcltd.com. That's excellent. Tony, if you could kind of build on, uh, on that and, 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 and un- helping us understand exactly the areas that you're focused on. I know you, you touched upon it earlier, but uh, I really would like to know where, where you're involved in the, in the robot creation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I am director of data and analytics, and I help lead um, uh, one digital solutions team uh, within the digital org, within Brian's uh, organization. Um, our team is focused on operative intelligence technologies, so developing and deploying machine learning enabled uh, solutions and platforms that seek to improve aspects of, of surgery. Uh, we focus on uh, ways we can leverage data and machine learning to improve surgical education, improve workflow and efficiencies, um, and, and even support uh, you know, academic collaborations and outreach to study their impact on outcomes. That's great. Brian, let's go back to... to where robotics surgery was before, what was envisioned, where it is now, and the the, the advancement of, of AI and, and machine learning, and, and this is obviously a question, Tony. You can you can take as well. But how have have the advances in those two areas really uh, evolved? What robotic surgery systems are able to do, and was that always part of the plan? You know, fifteen years from now, we'll have this type of data that will help us do this with our robotic surgery systems. Brian, if you could start us off. Yeah, I, I would say that it has a significant potential to be able to have an impact um, on, on surgery and, and on other uh, interventions. As, as you look back and, uh, you know, you start off, Tony had mentioned it, that for, from day one, uh, we had put a, a link, a digital link or, or a computer between the surgeon and the patient, which opened up uh, a new world of data that, that was never never there before, could, could never mm-hmm. be measured. And so over the years, and as the, the number of procedures have, uh, have increased, um, you know, topping over 10 million now, um, we were able to bring in that data and it gave us the opportunity to, to add value to our customers in, in the areas I talked about around outcomes learning and, uh, and efficiency. Um, when you get into ML and AI, um, it's what we, when we view how can we add value with data, um, there's a lot of data out there, right? And so data is, is, is important, but it's really the insights that you're able to pull out of that data. And, and it's combining the data, it's seeing what's important um, to create these insights that, that are actually, that are actionable for a customer to, uh, to be able to gain value from them, what, whatever they're trying to accomplish. And so we spend a lot of time making sure that we understand what data is relevant. We securely uh, collect that data and, uh, and run it through our ML models to really understand uh, those insights that are valuable. Then insights are only good if you can actually do something about it. And so part of our digital solutions and, and our strategy is um, once we know what insights are relevant, then we start to create solutions to help uh, uh, you know, surgeons evolve, whether it's our virtual reality simulation, whether it's our remote telepresence where we're connecting peers uh, so that they can learn from one another. But that's how it's evolved in, in the data from all of the, uh, the procedures that have been created. That's what's fueling uh, the, uh, the, the different technologies that we're developing today. And, and Tony, if you get into this, how does this, how do the, the guidance or the, the recommendations or, or the conclusions of all the data drawn, how is that presented back to the surgeon? And then how do you make sure it's presented in a way that, uh, that is easy for them to digest and, and to follow if, if that's the route they, they choose to do? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think it finds its way back to our surgeon customers in, in many ways. I think really the, the way I think about uh, the machine learning space is that it augments you know, surgeons' capabilities. And that could either be by being presented back as uh, recommendations to be able to uh, improve learning. It could also be uh, represented in um, fundamentally new aspects of a UI and new tools that are delivered kind of at the right time uh, during either pre-op, intra-op, or, or post-op surgery. And so uh, I think to Brian's point, it's, it's not, not necessarily focusing on the, the technology building block itself, but on what that technology is enabling to our customers. If we look forward a little bit, I, I, I think that, you know, that the original question of, of AI, I think the opportunity to be able to be more predictive, the opportunity to be you know, more real-time to impact uh, patients uh, is, is really exciting. And I think related fields of AI, machine learning, data science um, have been rapidly accelerating. And, and I think that um, is healthcare, but, but also brings healthcare along with it. And, and Brian, if you could get a little granular with the, the data that you're collecting, are we talking about uh, showing that when, when uh, the arm approaches the, 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 a certain organ this way versus that way, the outcome is better? What, is, what, is the, what are the data points that we're, we're, we're talking about? It's not just outcomes at the end, you know, percentages of success. It's, it's really more, a lot more kind of granular than that, right? Yeah, let, let, yeah. Let, let me take a step back and talk through uh, kind, kind of how we view it and, and what sure. we use the data for. And so, um, so it was back in uh, 2007, that was really the, the first time that the robot was connected to the internet. And it gave us an opportunity, uh, and, and the primary purpose of that was really uh, to, to make sure that we could service and, uh, and, and make sure that the systems were available for use. And, and, and our simple goal was uh, when the surgeon and the care team walks in the operating room, uh, the system needs to work. And, uh, and so that was where we got a lot of data coming back um, on just the system and how it was operating. So this is voltages sensors, things where you can say, hey, we're looking to make sure the system is, is functioning and, and we can be predictive uh, of, uh, you know, a need uh, to, uh, to, to service it. Um, as we moved forward and, you know, surgeons are performing procedures, um, they are interacting with the technology. They're going into different control modes. Uh, they're accessing different features via buttons. Uh, and the ability to, to record that um, and understand how people are using our products so that we can really say, all right, we, we developed a product because we wanted to solve a customer's need. How do we demonstrate that? And, and we invest a lot of, of, of our resources um, uh, into making sure that our uh, products are actually uh, providing the value that, that we believe they are in, in the market. Um, so we mm-hmm. use that data of people interacting with our technology uh, to be able to understand how it's being used. And then as Tony started his work, uh, uh, you know, many years ago, that was the type of data where you could see how are people interacting with the technology? Um, and then you can start to analyze uh, um, how efficient they're being and, uh, and provide guidance on, on improving on that efficiency. And then recently, if you go in and now tie it to outcomes, then you can start to get the, uh, the full breadth of, of why, we're, why we do what we do is, is to enable our, our customers to deliver great outcomes. And so, so it's progressed over the years and, uh, um, and we use that data that we record from the system to then guide a personalized learning or as Tony said, information uh, in, in real time uh, so, that they, so, so that they can perform the best uh, uh, to their abilities. 
So it's it's easy for us to say, you know, we have data. It's getting it, and, and you know, we're reading it, we're interpreting it, and then we're advising, we're 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 suggesting action upon it. That's obviously my clumsy paraphrasing of what you just said. But what is that operation like? It's there's it's so it's so easy to say we collect data and then make it available, but to process it and understand it is, I imagine, is a huge undertaking. How big of a part of Intuitive is that operation now? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, hand it over to Tony to kind of walk through uh, how, how he uh, how he views that. But it is, um, but but just to uh, to kind of tee it up, um, you know the. The coming in and securely and, uh, uh, you know, recording that data, bringing it in, uh, making sure that we are managing it uh, responsibly, it's, there, there's an investment. It is, uh, it is something that uh, takes energy. It takes people uh, that are dedicated and focused on, on making sure that we do that in the right way um, and make that available for our uh, uh, development teams to, uh, uh, to drive value. Um, so it is a, an important part of, of what we do, and, uh, and, and we definitely are investing. Um, because we see the the potential and uh, and some of the work that Tony's been doing um, has uh, has demonstrated that. So I'll, I'll hand it over to Tony. He can give you a little bit more of of how the data flows through and, and ultimately uh, uh, how it gets back to the customer to add value. Yeah, thanks, Brian. You know, one thing that we we spend a lot of time on when we talk about data flowing through and how we spend our time is really not just treating it as a technology, but coupling uh, the technology with the clinical perspective and making sure that we're we're solving solving a clinically meaningful problem. Um, you can do a lot of things with, with data. You can model and build algorithms for a lot of different things, but we want to spend our time wisely and make sure we bring kind of that value back. Once we're aligned on that and we continue to kind of debate, discuss, test, try to ensure we're focused, you know, the, the process of, of moving information around you know, strongly depends on you know, which data is relevant for that problem. We spend a lot of our time providing you know, post-operative video solutions and so being able to move um, videos through algorithms that can predict the right, you know, kind of the right context, being able to identify um, certain portions of surgery um, so that you provide feedback in, in the language of a surgeon uh, for that portion of surgery uh, is, is really kind of what we spend a lot of our, our bandwidth on. And what about what we talk a lot about data, but I watched a video of your presentation you made, I don't know, might have been a year or two ago at Stanford, uh, talking about, uh, you were talked at least a little bit about AR and VR and the roles that'll play going forward. Is, is that some, what can you share in terms of how those technologies will be built into to Intuitive's uh, systems going forward? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one, and then Tony, you can uh, you can add to it. And so I, I'd start off by saying that uh, uh, we actually right now uh, a core part of our offering that's been there for many years incorporates both uh, VR and AR. And so our uh, Sim Now, our, our simulation is is a virtual reality interface where we use the real console and uh, and we're able to present um, a surgical environment or some sort of skills drills to uh, to a surgeon uh, to be able to go in and uh, uh, and practice. And then our console. Is is really uh, an augmented reality device in and of itself. And as an example, uh, we have our fluorescence imaging capability, where we extract the information from the surgical scene, and that's overlaid inside of the visual chain from what the surgeon sees uh, in, into uh, into the anatomy, and uh, provides them with additional information to perform the procedure. And so, so that has been core. Uh, VR and, and and AR have been core to our product offerings from the beginning. Um, 
as we move forward, I think the exciting part is with all of the investments in head mount displays, things that are starting to now make, you know, uh, XR, both both VR and AR uh, more readily available and, and used for different applications. There's a, a big opportunity for bringing it into the training uh, realm. So team training with the care team uh, where you can pose a particular task or environment and you can have multiple people working together uh, to uh, to solve a problem. And so it's it's been with our technology and I can see us integrating it in in many ways uh, as we move forward in the future. I, I think that that's a great overview and and how it ties back into machine learning is that you know, machine learning powers uh, often some of the capabilities of augmented reality to recognize what's happening in the scene or or uh, integrate new things. And so I think as that field has emerged and as the technology, like Brian had said, um, has matured, um, it, it presents new opportunities. And, and we've, we've explored in research and uh, in product different sorts of uh, AR, VR technologies that um, help proctors uh, better educate surgeons. Um, and, and I think one other area of leveraging VR and AR is, is how do we connect across our, our ecosystems? We have a SimNow um, virtual reality uh, system to allow for practice outside the OR. How can we ensure uh, that, that surgeons um, efficiently move through practice outside OR if they have the time um, so that they're best prepared for, for that next surgery? And so ML algorithms, data science algorithms are, are critical for connecting the technologies, not just powering them. Brian, talk a bit more about, if you would, the, the surgical navigation, the, the giving the, the, the vision, I'm sorry, giving the surgeon uh, insights, vision into, into where they're operating, the operation, operating field. Are you at a point where you're able to uh, identify uh, different organs, different tissue to help sort of really guide them through the actual process? Is it, what, what is the, the navigation interface like? Yeah. So let, let, let me talk through what, uh, uh, what, what we have enabled and, and a little bit of where we're headed. And so I had mentioned earlier in, in my example of how we're helping with outcomes, the, uh, uh, the capability to take a preoperative scan, um, be able to identify and segment it. And what I mean by segmenting is that uh, we go in and identify the key structures, the key vessels uh, in, in that piece of anatomy um, and then present it to the surgeon in a way that they can manipulate it, they can view it, um, and it allows them to go in and uh, you know identify the key structures to uh, to plan the procedure. Um, in in partial nephrectomy, there's a, an aspect called selective clamping where you want to clamp the right vessel to take the blood supply away from the tumor um, as opposed to taking it away from the entire kidney. And it allows them to identify that vessel and, and select it. They can then bring that into the operating room, and as they're going through with the surgery, they can use that as a reference point and say, okay, now this is where I'm at in the procedure. Um, I can see this is the vessel that I'm looking for. Um, and we started to see that the efficiency in being able to locate the right anatomy, uh, do the right tasks, we're starting to see an improvement when they're using uh, these models. And so those are the types of things that are, that are occurring today. But we definitely are, are looking into new technologies in the future that uh, allow us to be able to identify uh, critical structures, uh, to differentiate between cancerous, non-cancerous tissue. So things that are that are important. Um, our firefly that's in the field allows a surgeon to see perfusion underneath the the you know the tissue. Um, and that's really the additional information. When a surgeon goes into a procedure, they can see what what with white light imaging, as we call it, they can see what is is uh, there and in, in above mm -hmm. the, the the tissue. Um, but being able to give them that information that is below the tissue that they can't see, um, that's where it's really enabling. And, and, and we have several efforts underway uh, in that area. 
Excellent. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. I guess my, my, my final point is just our question is, you know, we, we, the introduction of surgical robotics happened 20 years ago. We're seeing data in VR and AR sort of advance the, this next generation. Where, where are we headed in terms of uh, surgical robotic systems and healthcare delivery and, and new tech coming in? Uh, can you give us, uh, Brian, if you would just kind of look ahead five or 10 years, what, what new advances might we see without giving away any trade secrets? Uh, but where is this? Where is this whole thing headed? It's really an exciting development. Yeah, I, I would start with the concept which which we're uh, we're seeing today, but but it'll give us an opportunity to build on where uh, we're bringing in technology. A lot of what we've talked about today um, that adds adds context uh, to uh, to the robotic platform. And so, um, you know, over the past twenty five years, uh, we've had a very capable system that has been applied to a range of procedures. As we've started bringing in, you know, ML, some of the digital capabilities, we're adding the context that the system is performing a particular procedure. And in doing so, then you can start to go in and provide information. You can provide capabilities that are relevant to that procedure and relevant to that patient, such as the IRIS model, um, in a way that has the potential of, of really improving uh, outcomes moving forward. And so as you go in and, and start to bring that information we're able to continue to process as compute processing continues to advance. Um, you're starting to be able to do that in a real-time nature such that you can actually impact uh, the patient that's on the OR bed right then uh, with information that you are able to extract, um, as well as pull that information outside of the operating room for ongoing personalized learning and uh, you know an efficiency just for that continuous improvement that uh, that that you want to see. So I see that as a a significant uh, uh, step into the future, um, and it gives us something to really build on and uh, and, and drive in in the coming years. That's great, Tony. Uh, any uh, anything to add to that? Um, I, I would just echo what what Brian had said. I think um, really being able to um, be more more predictive, you know, being able to predict beforehand or sense in the moment inefficiencies or potential complications and stop them before they happen, I think is, is kind of a, a very, it is kind of the future. Um, and I, and I think the capabilities that are emerging in machine learning and, and artificial intelligence are kind of that, that stepwise increment that we, we need to be able to, um, try to build those technologies. Excellent. Well, it's great that uh, a company like Intuitive was around to draw you both into the medical device industry. And uh, I want to thank you both uh, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Intuitive Talks. Thanks to our guests, Tony Jark and Brian Miller of Intuitive. And thanks, of course, to our sponsor, SMC. Please do us a few favors, would you? Would you please share this podcast on social media? Post it up there on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find me on both. Find Tom Salemi on LinkedIn, or I'm at MedTechTom on Twitter. You can also subscribe or follow this podcast by subscribing or following our Device Talks weekly podcast. It's a great way to uh, keep abreast and on top of the news in the medtech industry. Go to Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. We're on all of those applications and more. And again, you can follow and subscribe so future episodes are sent directly to you. You can also find this podcast on devicetalks.com. While on there, take a look at our other podcasts and our information about our digital meetings that are ongoing in our in-person meetings, which will happen in 2022. Once again, that is a wrap. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast.